The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Book 4, Varennes, Chapter 7, The Knight of Spurs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 4, Chapter 7, The Knight of Spurs. This comes of mysterious escorts in a new Berlin with eleven horses. He that has a secret should not only hide it, but hide that he has it to hide. Your first military escort has exploded self-destructive, and all military escorts into suspicious country will now be up, explosive, comparable not to victorious thunder. Comparable, say, rather to the first stirring of an alpine avalanche, which, once stir it as here at St. Menehu, will spread all round and on and on, as far as Stenai, thundering with wild ruin, till patriot villages, peasantry, military escorts, New Berlin and royalty are down, jumbling in the abyss. The thick shades of night are falling. Postilions crack the whip. The Royal Berlin is through Clermont, where Colonel Comte de Demar got a word whispered to it, is safe through towards Varennes, rushing at the rate of double drink money. An unknown inconnu on horseback shrieks earnestly some hoarse whisper, not audible, into the rushing carriage window and vanishes, left in the night. August travellers palpitate. Nevertheless, over-wearied nature sinks every one of them into a kind of sleep. Alas, and Drouet and Clark Guillaume spur, taking side-roads for shortness, for safety, scattering abroad that moral certainty of theirs which flies a bird of the air carrying it and your rigorous quartermaster spurs, awakening hoarse trumpet tone, as here at Clermont, calling out dragoons gone to bed. Brave Colonel Demar has them mounted in part. These Clermont men, young cornered Ramey, dashes off with a few. But the Patriot Magistry is out here at Clermont too, National Guard shrieking for ball cartridges, and the village illuminates itself, deft Patriots springing out of bed, alertly in shirt or shift, striking a light, sticking up each his farthing candle or penurious oil cruise, till all glitters and glimmers, so deft are they. A camisado or shirt tumult everywhere, storm bells set the ringing, village drum beating furious general as here at Clermont under illumination, distracted patriots pleading and menacing. Brave young Colonel de Dumas, in that uproar of distracted patriotism, speaks some fire sentences to what troopers he has. Comrades insulted at saint Menehou, king and country calling on the brave, then gives the fire word, draws swords whereupon, alas, the troopers only smite their sword-handles, driving them further home. "'To me, whoever is for the king!' cries Demar in despair, and gallops, he with some poor loyal two of the subaltern sort, into the bosom of the night. Night unexampled in the Clermonte, shortest of the year, remarkablest of the century. Night deserving to be named of spurs.' Cornet Remy, and those few he dashed off with, has missed his road, is galloping for hours towards Verdun, then for hours across hedged country through roused hamlets towards Varennes. Unlucky Cornet Remy, unluckier Colonel Damar, with whom they ride desperate only some loyal two. More ride not of that Clermont escort, of other escorts in other villages not even two may ride, but only all curve and prance, impeded by storm-bell and your village illuminating itself. 
and Drouet rides and Clac Guillaume and the country runs. Gogoulin and Duke Choiseul are plunging through morasses, over cliffs, over stock and stone in the shaggy woods of the Clermontais, by tracks or trackless with guides, hussars tumbling into pitfalls and lying swooned three quarters of an hour, the rest refusing to march without them. What an evening ride from the Pont de Somerville! What a thirty hours since Choiseul quitted Paris with Queen's valet Leonard in the chaise by him! Black Care sits behind the rider. Thus they go plunging, rustle the owlet from his branchy nest, champ the sweet-scented forest herb, queen of the meadows, spilling her spikenard, and frighten the ear of night. But hark, towards twelve o'clock, as one guesses, for the very stars are gone out, sound of the tocsin from Varenne? Checking bridle, the hussar officer listens. Some fire, undoubtedly, yet rides on, with double breathlessness to verify. Yes, gallant friends that do your utmost, it is a certain sort of fire, difficult to quench. The Corf Berlin, fairly ahead of all this riding avalanche, reached the little poultry village of Varenne about eleven o'clock, hopeful in spite of that horse-whispering unknown. Do not all towns now lie behind us, Verdun avoided on our right? within wind of Bouillet himself in a manner, and the darkest of midsummer nights favouring us. And so we halt on the hilltop at the south end of the village, expecting our relay, which young Bouillet, Bouillet's own son, with his escort of hussars, was to have ready, for in this village is no post. Distracting to think of, neither horse nor hussar is here. Ah, and stout horses, a proper relay belonging to Duke Choiseul, do stand at Hay, but in the upper village, over the bridge, and we know not of them. Hussars likewise do wait, but drinking in the taverns. For indeed it is six hours beyond the time. Young Bouillet, silly stripling, thinking the matter over for this night, has retired to bed. And so our yellow couriers, inexperienced, must rove, groping, bungling, through a village mostly asleep. Postilions will not for any money go on with the tired horses, not at least without refreshment. Not they let the valet in round hat argue as he likes. Miserable. For five and thirty minutes by the king's watch the Berlin is at a dead stand. Round hat, arguing with churn boots, tired horses slobbering their meal and water, yellow couriers groping, bungling, young Bouillet asleep all the while in the upper village, and Choiseul's fine team standing there at hay. No help for it, not with the king's ransom. The horses deliberately slobber. Round hat argues, Bouillet sleeps. And mark now, in the thick night, do not two horsemen with jaded trot come clank-clanking and start with half-paws if one noticed them at sight of this dim mass of a berline and its dull slobbering and arguing, then prick off faster into the village? It is Drouet, he and Clark Guillaume. Still ahead, they too, of the whole riding hurly-burly, unshot, though some brag of having chased them, Perilous is Drouet's errand also, but he is an old dragoon with his wits shaken thoroughly awake. The village of Varenne lies dark and slumbrous, a most unlevel village of inverse saddle shape, as men write. It sleeps, the rushing of the river air singing lullaby to it. 
Nevertheless, from the Golden Tavern, Bradour Tavern, across that sloping marketplace, there still comes shine of social light, comes voice of rude drovers or the like, who have not yet taken the stirrup cup. Boniface Leblanc, in white apron, serving them, cheerful to behold. To this Bradour, Drouet enters, alacrity looking through his eyes. He nudges Boniface in all privacy. Camarade, es-tu bon patriot? Art thou a good patriot? Si, je suis, answers Boniface. In that case, eagerly whispers Drouet. What whisper is needful, heard of Boniface alone. I now see Boniface le Black bustling, as he never did for the jolliest toper. See Drouet and Guillaume, dexterous old dragoons, instantly down blocking the bridge with a furniture wagon they find there, with whatever wagons, tumbrils, barrels, barrows their hands can lay hold of till no carriage can pass. Then swiftly the bridge once blocked, see them take station hard by under Varenne archway, joined by Leblanc, Leblanc's brother, and one or two alert patriots he has roused. Some half-dozen in all, with national muskets, they stand close, waiting under the archway, till that same Corf Berlin rumble up. It rumbles up. Altala! Lanterns flash out from under Kurtzcoats, bridles chuck in strong fists, two national muskets level themselves fore and aft through the two coach doors. Mesdames, your passports? Alas, alas, Sieur Sos, procureur of the township, tallow-chandler also, and grocer is there, with official grosser politeness, Drouet with fierce logic and ready wit. The respected travelling party, be it Baroness de Corfs, or persons of still higher consequence, will perhaps please to rest itself and Monsieur Sauces till the dawn strikes up? Oh, Louis, oh, hapless Marie Antoinette! fated to pass thy life with such men. Phlegmatic Louis, art thou but lazy, semi-animate phlegm them to the centre of thee? King, Captain-General, Sovereign Frank, if thy heart ever formed since it began beating under the name of heart any resolution at all, be it now then or never in this world. Violent, nocturnal individuals, and if it were persons of high consequence, and if it were the king himself, has the king not the power, which all beggars have, of travelling unmolested on his own highway? Yes, it is the king, and tremble ye to know it. The king has said, in this one small matter, and in France or under God's throne, is no power that shall gainsay. Not the king shall ye stop here under this your miserable archway, but his dead body only, and answer it to heaven and earth. To me, bodyguards, postillions, en avant! One fancies in that case the pale paralysis of these two Leblanc musketeers, the drooping of Drouet's underjaw, and how Procureur Sauce had melted like tallow in furnace heat, Louis faring on, in some few steps awakening young Bouillet, awakening relays and hussars, triumphant entry with cavalcading high-brandishing escort and escorts into Montmédy, and the whole course of French history different. Alas! It was not in the poor phlegmatic man. Had it been in him, French history had never come under this Varenne archway to decide itself. He steps out, all step out. Procureur Sauce gives his grosser arms to the Queen and Sister Elizabeth, Majesty taking the two children by the hand. And thus they walk, 
coolly back over the marketplace to procure sources, mount into his small upper story, where straightway his majesty demands refreshments. Demands refreshments, as is written, gets bread and cheese with a bottle of burgundy, and remarks that it is the best burgundy he ever drank. Meanwhile, the Varenne notables and all men, official and non-official, are hastily drawing on their breeches, getting their fighting gear. Mortals half-dressed tumble out barrels, lay felled trees. Scouts dart off to all the four winds, the toxin begins clanging, the village illuminates itself. Very singular how these little villagers do manage, so adroit are they when startled in midnight alarm of war like little adroit municipal rattlesnakes suddenly awakened, for their storm-bell rattles and rings, their eyes glisten luminous with tallow-light, as in rattlesnake ire, and the village will sting. Old Dragoon Drouet is our engineer and generalissimo, valiant as a Roy Diaz. Now or never, ye patriots, for the soldiery is coming, massacre by Austrians, by aristocrats, war more than civil, it all depends on you and the hour. National guards rank themselves half-buttoned. Mortals, we say, still only in breeches, in under-petticoat, tumble out barrels and lumber, lay felled trees for barricades. The village will sting. Rabid democracy, it would seem, is not confined to Paris, then. Ah, no, whatsoever courtiers might talk, too clearly no. This of dying for one's king is grown into a dying for one's self, against the king, if need be. And so our riding and running avalanche and hurly-burly has reached the abyss, cough Berlin foremost, and may pour itself thither and jumble endless. For the next six hours need we ask if there was a clattering far and wide, clattering and toxining and hot tumult all over the Clermonté, spreading through the three bishoprics, dragoon and hussar troops galloping on roads and no roads, national guards arming and starting in the dead of night, toxin after toxin transmitting the alarm. In some forty minutes, Gogola and Choiseul with their wearied hussars reach Varennes. Ah, it is no fire then, or a fire difficult to quench. They leap the tree barricades in spite of national sergeants. They enter the village, Soizet instructing his troopers how the matter really is, who respond interjectionally in their guttural dialect, Der König die Königin, and seem stanch. These now, in their stanch humour, will, for one thing, beset Procureur Sosse's house, most beneficial, had not Drouet stormfully ordered otherwise, and even bellowed in his extremity, Cannoneers to your guns! Two old honeycombed field pieces, empty of all but cobwebs, the rattle whereof, as the cannoneers with assured countenance trundled them up, did nevertheless abate the hussar ardour, and produce a respectfuller ranking further back. Jugs of wine handed over the ranks, for the German throat too has sensibility, will complete the business. When engineer Gogola, some hours or so afterwards, steps forth, the response to him is, a hiccuping, viva la nation. What boots it? Gogola, Choiseul, now also Count Dumas, and all the Varenne officiality are with the king, and the king can give no order, form no opinion, but sits there, as he has ever done, like clay on potter's wheel, perhaps the absurdest of all pitiable and pardonable clay figures that now circle under the moon. He will go on next morning and take the National Guard with him, Sosa permitting. 
Hapless queen with her two children laid there on the mean bed, old mother sauce kneeling to heaven with tears and an audible prayer to bless them, imperial Marie Antoinette near kneeling to son sauce and wife sauce amid candle boxes and treacle barrels in vain. There are three thousand national guards got in. Before long they will count ten thousand, toxins spreading like fire on dry heath or far faster. Young Bouillet, roused by this Varenne toxin, has taken horse and fled towards his father. Thitherward also rides, in an almost hysterically desperate manner, a certain Sieur Obrio, Choiseul's orderly, swimming dark rivers, our bridges being blocked, spurring as if hell-hunt were at his heels. Through the village of Dain, he, galloping still on, scatters the alarm, at dawn, brave Captain Delon and his escort of a hundred saddle and ride. Delon, too, gets into Varennes, leaving his hundred outside at the tree barricade, offers to cut King Louis out if he will order it, but unfortunately the work will prove hot, whereupon King Louis has no orders to give. And so the toxin clangs and dragoons gallop and can do nothing having galloped, National guards stream in like the gathering of ravens, your exploding thunder chain, falling avalanche, or what else we liken it to, does play with a vengeance, up now as far as Stenay and Bouillet himself. Brave Bouillet, son of the whirlwind, he saddles Royal Allemand, speaks firewords, kindling heart and eyes, distributes twenty-five gold Louis a company, ride Royal Allemand, long famed, no Tuileries charge and Necker Orleans bust procession, a very king made captive and world all to win, such is the knight deserving to be named of spurs. At six o'clock two things have happened. Lafayette's aide-de-camp, Romeuf, riding a franc on that old herb-merchant's route, quickened during the last stages, has got to Varennes, where the ten thousand now furiously demand, with fury of panic terror, that royalty shall forthwith return Parisward, that there be not infinite bloodshed. Also, on the other side, English Tom, Choiseul's jockey, flying with that Choiseul relay, has met Bouillet on the heights of Dain, the adamantine brow flushed with dark thunder, thunderous rattle of royal Allemand at his heels. English Tom answers as he can the brief questions, how is it at Varennes? Then asks in turn what he, English Tom, with Monsieur de Choiseul's horses, is to do and whither to ride. To the bottomless pool, answers a thunder voice, then again speaking and spurring, orders royal Allemand to the gallop and vanishes swearing en jurant. "'Tis the last of our brave Bouillet. "'Within sight of Varennes, he, having drawn bridle, "'calls a council of officers, finds that it is in vain. "'King Louis has departed, "'consenting amid the clangour of universal storm-bell, "'amid the tramp of ten thousand armed men already arrived, "'and say of sixty thousand flocking thither. "'Brave Delon, even without orders, "'darted at the river air with his hundred, "'swam one branch of it, could not the other, "'and stood there, dripping and panting with inflated nostril, "'the ten thousand answering him with a shout of mockery. "'The new Berlin, lumbering Paris, would its weary, inevitable way. "'No help, then, in earth, nor in an age not of miracles, in heaven.' That night, Marquis de Bouillet and twenty-one more of us rode over the frontiers. The Bernardine monks at Orval in Luxembourg gave us supper and lodging. 
with little of speech Boyer rides, with thoughts that do not brook speech. Northward, towards uncertainty and the Sumerian night, towards West Indian Isles, for with thin emigrant delirium the son of the whirlwind cannot act, towards England, towards premature stoical death, not towards France any more. Honour to the brave, who, be it in this quarrel or in that, is a substance and articulate speaking piece of human valour, not a fanfarinading hollow spectrum and squeaking and gibbering shadow. One of the few royalist chief actors, this Bouillet, of whom so much can be said. The brave Bouillet, too, then vanishes from the tissue of our story. Story and tissue, faint, ineffectual emblem of that grand, miraculous tissue and living tapestry named French Revolution, which did weave itself then, in very fact, on the loud-sounding loom of time. The old brave drop out from it with their strivings, and new acrid druets of new strivings and colour come in, as is the manner of that weaving. End of Book 4, Chapter 7